Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, on wild weather days like the ones we're having in California, the option of not having to commute into work is pretty great. It's definitely one of the upsides mentioned often by remote and hybrid workers or those who can work from home part of the week. And now that we're a few years into this massive shift in workplace expectations affecting a quarter of the American workforce, we're getting a better sense of its pros and its cons. This hour, we want to hear from you. If you're a hybrid worker, how has working some of the time from home reshaped your life? And what are you still figuring out? Tell us after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. If you're one of the tens of millions of Americans who splits your workdays between the office and your home, how's it going? It can be easy to forget that the hybrid work revolution is still a very recent phenomenon, and many employees and their employers are still noticing and navigating both its benefits and its drawbacks. In fact, recent surveys suggest workers are experiencing more stress and less job satisfaction lately, prompting the New York Times' Emma Goldberg to wonder if we're in a bit of a hybrid worker malaise. What do you think? If you're able to work from home part of the time, what challenges are you noticing about hybrid work in addition to its many benefits? You can tell us by calling 866-733-6786, posting them on our social channels at KQBD Forum or emailing forum at kqbd.org. Emma Goldberg joins me now. She covers the future of work and workplace culture for the Times. Welcome, Emma. Hi, thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. And and before we get to the challenges, I do want to first talk about the benefits, the pros of hybrid work, and what you consistently hear, Emma, as the biggest upsides. I'm so glad that we're starting with that, because I think we can't, you know, possibly overstate how much of a game changer this has been for so many working people. Um, And I want to start in particular with working parents, I've interviewed um, probably hundreds of workers over the last couple of years who have introduced either remote work or hybrid work into their routine. And what so many of them have spoken to is just um, the unbelievable upside of flexibility when you're trying to juggle your career with parenting obligations. Yeah, I think for so many people, 
the workday used to just feel like this equation that wouldn't balance where you were expected to be at your desk certain hours and then sort of simultaneously expected to be at, you know, school drop off or school pickup or just caring for your child in the afternoons. And there's been this just like enormous um, loosening up of people's schedules. Microsoft did this really interesting research that found that we've entered this new kind of workflow where people have a triple peak of productivity. Um, So they're doing a lot of work before lunch. They're doing a lot of work in the afternoon. But then they've added this new kind of shift of doing work after hours in the evening. And a lot of times that's because it's it's parents who are able to maybe leave the office a little bit early, um, take care of child care obligations, and then they log back in when their kids go to sleep to do a little more work in the evenings. So I think for working parents, there's just enormous benefits to flexibility. And are people telling you they're also able to have, like, healthier habits? Absolutely. That's one of the the major benefits people cite when I've spoken to them about how this has changed, you know, their mental health or just um, the psychology almost of their work days. I think a lot of people have found that um, if they go into the office three days a week and then work from home two days a week, as is the case for um, so many millions of workers, on those days when they're home, they're able to make a healthy lunch where they're not spending money. Um, they're able to, you know, either get in an exercise right when they wake up or right when the workday is over. Maybe they're able to do a little bit of, you know, laundry or just other sort of obligations so that those don't pile up on the weekends. So I think a lot of people are just feeling like they're in better shape, they're happier, they're healthier, even just when they have a little bit of balance. So there are a few days a week when they know they'll be remote and they know that they can take care of those, you know, kind of life obligations that come up outside of work. And Emma, what's your hybrid work schedule? And I understand you absolutely love your remote days. <laughs> um, it, I do. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I think as is typical of a lot of American workers, I'm expected and at the office about three days a week. Um, and I really do love having that sort of requirement on me because when I go into the office, I get so many story ideas. I see my coworkers and, you know, I make plans for lunch. It's just you catch up with people. Um, today, I was up in my in, in my section and one of my colleagues had brought in her daughter and, um, you know, another colleague was telling me about her vacation. It's just, it's very warm and it's such an open environment. But I um, also have a very long commute. I have a close to an hour commute. And so on those days when I'm working from home, I just love gaining like two hours back in my day to um, either do a little bit of extra work or to exercise or to read or whatever it is, just have like a little bit more um, flexibility in the day. So that's why I I think commuting is like a really big piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Americans have long commutes, oftentimes about like 27 minutes. So mine is definitely longer than this. American average. Um, But it's just really, it feels like this bonus time that you gain back into your day on those days when you are remote. And you note that it's good for employers too, that a lot of economic research has shown that when people don't commute, they actually do put that work back into their, their jobs. And I was just talking with our engineer before the show started about the cost savings of not having to pay as much in bridge tolls or gas and things like that have been hugely beneficial as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes people forget that that moment when a lot of companies were calling people back to the office really also coincided with this big jump in inflation. So people were being asked to come back to the office. And then at the same time, they were like, wow, gas prices are soaring. Um, food prices are soaring. Coffee is more expensive. So all of a sudden, just like the, the you know, sticker price of leaving home during the day jumps up and people get a little bit of sticker shock from that. Yeah. So besides people who work in media, who else tends to be hybrid? What industries has this shift taken over most often? I mean, this is a phenomenon that definitely skews um, toward college-educated workers. It's predominantly college-educated, yeah. and it really skews toward white-collar workers. Um, and, and I think that's for pretty obvious reasons, which is that it's you know, you can only really do your job remotely if your job is sort of technologically enabled. So it's people who work in tech. It's people, some people who work in finance, some, sometimes people who work in law, um, definitely media, PR, design, all sorts of things where you're not, you know, physically either interacting with customers or, um, or, or physically, you know, using your hands. Yeah, people who basically spend their day working on computers a lot. We're talking with Emma Goldberg, business reporter covering workplace culture and the future of work for The New York Times. And we want to hear from you, our listeners, if you're a hybrid worker, what your experience has been like. And if you have noticed new challenges recently on top of the benefits that we were just talking about. This listener writes, with regard to the commute, the state should work to lessen people's commute by encouraging large employers to build offices in residential areas. That would eliminate a lot of the need to work from home. But Emma, workers really did fight against a full five days back in the office, regardless of how close they were from home. Can you take a step back a little and help us appreciate first how big a workplace shift this has been, the pandemic sort of ushered in, and also just how intense some of the return to workplace battles were? Absolutely. I mean, you know, this isn't the first time that the workplace has undergone a transformation, right? Like in the, you know, during World War II and in the aftermath of that, we had women flooding into the workforce. Um, and, and after that, we had the rise of computing where people could all of a sudden work. Um, and, and then the rise of, you know, laptops. People could work anywhere, anytime. So the workplace has often been remade. But I think it's it's pretty rare that we undergo this much of a transformation overnight, Right. So when, when the pandemic struck, it was like all of a sudden people just had to figure out remote work on the fly um, for safety reasons. And I think because we underwent that transformation so suddenly, it's taken a lot of years to sort of piece together what the implications of that are and how you make it really work for people. So first of all, in terms of the numbers, this is a phenomenon that's really affecting a lot of people. It's, you know, some estimates say about a quarter of workers are working at least hybrid, meaning partly from home. And that was, you know, during the pandemic, it rose from um, 4% of people who were exclusively working from home in 2019 to 54% in 2020. Wow. So that was a massive jump. Um, and, and I think, you know, people learned to really embrace the benefits that came from that. As we were talking about earlier, they embraced the benefits of flexibility in terms of, um, you know, taking care of family obligations. I've spoken with so many workers who shared that when they started working from home, they kind of, you know, experienced an entirely new approach to work-life balance and to just like their relationships with their family. Mm -hmm. Like people who had just been sort of feeling chained to the desk pre-COVID realized like, 
they could and that they should spend a little more time like away from work and with their children or with their spouses or, you know, with their friends, with their neighbors, with their communities. Um, so I think that was a, a huge upside for people. Uh, and, and then the health benefits, The I, I actually talked to a lot of people who just introduced some new, like even one discreet little new routine into their day that just made all the difference, like going on a walk in the morning, gardening, like having a nice sit down breakfast with whoever they live with. So people introduced real like gifts into their lives. And so I think then when the prospect of back in the office five days a week, just like things were before COVID arose, people were really understandably resistant to that. Yeah, there there were, I think the employers very much got the clear message that they've got to figure something else out rather than asking people to come back five days a week, though it's not like all employers went ahead and created a hybrid schedule. So yeah, it felt like hybrid became like a perfect compromise, but you are saying that you are noticing or that you're finding that workers feel a lot of stress lately. How do you know this? And we're coming up on a break just to warn you, but but how do you know that job satisfaction is starting to go down a bit? Yeah, it's, it's showing up in some of the polling. And, um, you know, there is a survey from Bamboo HR recently that showed that worker satisfaction was actually like reaching a new pandemic low, which was really interesting because we're in a, a like newly kind of stable place of that balance between working from the office and working from home. And Gallup polling is also indicating that people are experiencing a lot of stress at work. And so I, what we're going to do after the break is dig into to some of the reasons that people are feeling this way. But it's exclusively hybrid workers or is it just workers overall? Um, this is it's extending to a lot of portions of the population, and I think for all different reasons. Um, but hybrid workers, I think, are experiencing a kind of unique sense of malaise. Mm, that's so interesting. Okay, well, we will hear about more of that after the break, and you, our listeners, will share with us what you are experiencing about hybrid work. Are you experiencing a bit of a malaise? This listener is not. This listener writes, I presently work from home in San Francisco, and the one thing that working from home offers me now that I haven't had in the past is essentially having a quiet place for me to work in my own office. Pre-pandemic, I have been working in a shared office with cubicles, and I don't know how people can get work done within the open floor plan that's dominated office designs these past two decades, where there are nonstop distractions, noise, and conversations. Tell us about what partial remote work has brought you and and maybe what you feel like it has cost. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A couple of years into this mass workplace experiment of remote work or part-of-the-time work from home, hybrid schedules, predominantly in white-collar work, we're taking stock of how it's going. If you are a hybrid worker like the tens of millions of Americans who are, we're hearing from you what your experience has been like. What have you noticed about the pros and cons of hybrid work? Maybe cons are emerging more vividly now. As Emma Goldberg reports, there are some decline in job satisfaction. Emma Goldberg is a business reporter covering workplace culture and the future of work for the New York Times. And you, our listeners, can join our conversation by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on X, Instagram, our digital community on Discord, or by calling 866-733-6786. Are you a hybrid worker? What's your experience been? What changes would you like to see your workplace make? Maybe you're a manager who are juggling employees at home and at work. And what have you tried? If you're not a hybrid worker, but intersect with those who are, how have you been affected by this massive workplace shift? Muzaho or Muzajo on Discord writes, I work in person full time in a physical labor position and wish my industry were regarded with more respect. We still have enormous gas prices, mileage, stressful traffic situations, and no reimbursement. While white collar workers with higher wages get a break on this, saving money, time, and stress. Let me go to caller Dave in Saratoga. Dave, you're on. Hi, thanks for the opportunity. And um, I agree with uh, some of the pros uh, that the speaker um, is highlighting. Um, however, I think we may not be highlighting some of the cons of mm. hybrid work. Um, I am kind of opposed to hybrid work and in particular completely opposed to remote work. Because while it lends the flexibility of um, uh, of the of the options that the speaker already mentioned, hybrid work uh, and being a, a team lead slash manager myself, leading a large team in tech, um, I feel that um, you know, coming into office is the stepping stone to success, and also it's the stepping stone to success, especially for people who are joining in new um, and uh, collaboration is paramount to um, success of the team and the company, uh, doing whiteboarding, doing discussions. And then the second point that I do want to raise is uh, most of these companies, we need, or most of the employers, uh, we need to be mindful of the fact that they are paying these workers a lot more, um, especially for those who are in the high cost of living areas, uh, for them to actually coming into office physically. Mm. Yeah. So the fact that they are not coming into office, if they don't come to office, then the entire point gets defeated. Yeah. So well, Dave, thanks. My, uh, those are my comments. Thanks for sharing those comments. And I want, I want to talk to you about a few things that, that Dave brings up. One, of course, is we have heard a lot about how what gets lost is sort of the spontane- spontaneity of in inter-office interactions, but also the collaboration that can be even stronger with in-person interaction. Is that something you still hear a lot is, as a major con or is that lessened some? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, people spend a lot of their time that a lot of time at work on you know that means that you're spending potentially more time with your coworkers than you're even spending with family or certain friends so those relationships are really important and i think some people have um you know they've encountered some challenge in really deepening them or making mm-hmm. them as authentic when they're just collaborating with people online um and i think 
in terms of what the research shows, one of the the you know the deepest kind of issues where it comes to remote work is actually around career development and mentorship. And and this gets to some of the good points that the caller was making. Um, there there was a really interesting study that came out this spring that showed that people who were working remotely actually got um, less feedback on their work. Um, so it, that meant that this was a study of, of engineers, and it looked at how many lines of edits they got on their code. And they were actually able to, to quantify that people who were working remotely were just getting fewer lines of edits. And, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities of what that means. But I think one of the most plausible, you know, interpretations is just that when you have an in-person relationship with someone, they just feel more comfortable giving you really substantive criticism and feedback on your work. And I think like really most of us who have had experience with being managed at work know that um, even though it can be hard or uncomfortable, one of the most important ways that we're in areas where people can grow is when they get feedback and especially critical feedback on their work. That makes a lot of sense, actually. We had Arthur Brooks on a little bit ago who writes for The Atlantic. And one of the things that he was saying is that one of the keys to job satisfaction is feeling like your boss knows what you're doing and recognizes you for a job well done accurately, or just period recognizes how much you're actually doing. And I can hear how that and see how that could really get lost in a hybrid work situation, especially if people just don't generally get more feedback or get more interaction about their work with their employer. Absolutely. There's just, you know, I think some people might look at that and say, oh, that's great. That means you can just like do your work and everyone will just, you know, give you a thumbs up on Slack and, and that's it. But I think most of us know that in order to get like from kind of rung to rung of your career, you have to like do challenging things and then get responses on that, understand where you need to practice or get better at something. So that feedback is essential. And if, if that feedback declines when you're not working in person, that's a really notable, you know, takeaway. Do you think that loss of interaction too can make it easier for you to have weaker relationships with your employers and even easier for them to maybe lay you off? Maybe I'm being influenced by the fact that we're experiencing so many layoffs right now in the Bay Area, especially around the tech sector. But I have wondered if it if it makes it easier to lay people off, if it's not going to be as big of a workplace shakeup that that person isn't there? I don't think we have the data yet to tell us exactly what the effects are on job security. But I think what's important is that workers are are definitely connecting those dots themselves. Um, and some companies have actually explicitly said that they're going to take office attendance into consideration when they're doing, for example, you know, employee reviews. So Google, for example, said that managers are allowed to look at um, an employee's office attendance pattern and, and look for any sort of notable long absences from the office when they're doing reviews. And now that we're seeing so many layoffs, um, in particular in the tech industry, I think what a lot of workers are taking away from that is, oh, you know, e either the company could directly look at whether or not I've been in the office, or, you know, I could just harm myself by not building as deep of a relationship with my manager by not being in the office. Ooh, that is... That doesn't sound great either, because it sounds like a real inconsistency between an employer saying that they're all in for hybrid work to try to keep you happy or make you stay, but then making your office attendance a, a factor in your performance review. <laughs> it suggests that it's like, whoa, you know, uh, I didn't know this would be a, a factor if, if, if your words and your rhetoric is that you 100% support this. 
Well, so, for example, at somewhere like Google, I think it's more like a manager is allowed to take into account if someone is just has an unexplained and very long absence. So it's if you're not really complying with the employer's hybrid work plan. And other companies have done, you know, a similar approach. And I think that's the tension between the carrot and the stick of hybrid work. For, you know, for much of the pandemic, companies have been trying to get people to come back to the office using carrots. They've had free food. You know, there were even like concerts. There was a Lizzo concert to celebrate return to office for um, for Google. And so now I think we're shifting into a little bit more of the stick phase where some companies are also saying that if people don't comply and if they don't come to the office, that could be a factor in how their managers review them. Yeah. Let me go to caller Alexandra and Campbell. Hi, Alexandra, you're on. Good morning. Um, So I have been a huge part of rolling out my company's hybrid work plan, as well as managing, uh, you know, fully remote, as well as fully in-person teams. And I think what I've found is that um, it's directly dependent on how a people manager manages that schedule Um, in in an environment, especially in Silicon Valley, where half of my team was fully remote, half of my team was hybrid and used to be fully in person, setting things up for success and being very thoughtful about that process is what's made us super successful, at least in our team. So making sure that we schedule specific meetings for collaboration days so that we know that people are going to be in the office and we can whiteboard, but then also scheduling very specific types of work and types of meetings on those hybrid days when we know folks are going to be at home. And then also in uh, making sure the teams have the tools in place that they can be just as collaborative digitally, as well as that spontaneous kind of communication and pings on the side and say, hey, can I talk right now? That sort of you know, collaboration is built into the culture. Um, And I think that's the only way that it can be successful because I've seen multiple teams try it. um, And if you're not actively working together and listening to the team and constantly adapting, there's just no way that it's going to be successful across the board. Alexandra, thanks. I really appreciate those points you're making because am I wondering, are most workplaces as thoughtful, as invested, as adaptable as Alexandra is describing you need to be to be a good manager for a hybrid work team? It's an excellent point because the reality is that hybrid work arrangements are all over the map in terms of how they're structured. And I think what researchers have really found is that what makes the difference is a well-structured, well-designed, intentional approach to hybrid work. And this actually comes out in the research because when um, economists have tried to study how remote and hybrid work affect productivity, the findings have been all over the map. Some have shown that it leads to a boost in productivity. Some have shown that it leads to a decline in productivity. And what researchers I've interviewed take away from that is that it all comes down to how are you managing hybrid work? Are you ensuring that when people are coming into the office, they're having opportunities for meaningful interactions with their colleagues? Are you ensuring that people have a sense of what's expected of them, like how often they have to be in, on what days, when they do come in? Um, Or is there going to be an opportunity to meet with their managers? Or, you know, is there going to be like some sort of Um, you know, opportunity to socialize with people. Some companies have what's called anchor days when everyone is expected to be in. So then you know that you're not just going to go into the office and be sitting there Zooming with colleagues who decided to stay home that day. So it's all about the intentionality. 
Well, the Zisner writes on Discord, as a hybrid worker, I would say my company has managed it pretty well. They do a lot to support and make it easy to come in. The management would love to see more people in the offices, and there are definitely trade-offs. But since my team is mostly in Eastern Europe, forcing a return to office would cause us to lose valuable meeting times during the morning commutes. Your your point about going in and then not having your colleagues there and you're like, why am I here if, if I was just going to do this from home anyway, I think is really well taken because the the lack of predictability of who is going to be there and how you're going to work that particular day, I imagine can cause a lot of stress, which might be what's being reflected in those surveys that you're talking about. Absolutely. I think, you know, that there's a couple of factors there. One is just that um, there's a little bit of a sort of just existential angst when you're waking up every morning and then trying to do the math of like, is today a day I go in? And if I do go in today, does that mean tomorrow I can stay home? Or if I stay home today, that means on Thursday I have to, you know, wake up early for the commute. So it's it's definitely created a layer of just kind of uncertainty and unpredictability in people's lives. Um, and, and then there's also the reality that, you know, one person who I interviewed one time described it to me really memorably is there's this worst of both worlds of zooming from the office. And that's like, you know, a day that I think a lot of hybrid workers are familiar with when someone decided to commute in and and they bundled up, they went into the cold, they spent money on their commute, um, and then no one's in the office. And they're like, all their coworkers just randomly decided to go home or their one in-person meeting got postponed. So I think people are, first of all, constantly running the variables and trying to design their schedules and their routines on the fly, which just can lead to a lot of like unpredictability and uncertainty. And then there's not even a guarantee that, you know, when they do go in, that it'll necessarily have made sense for them to do so. Well, this is not on Discord writes, as a manager, I make an effort to ensure that I provide meaningful responses to my remote workers. I make sure that I have my one-on-one meetings on camera so that we can talk directly. I'm also working on trying to meet in person one or two times a year. Jeff writes, I've worked in IT for a few decades, going into the office every day. I was laid off in 2018, but this past April, I started working again, and my job is now 100% remote. This is a huge change for me, as I'm quite the social butterfly, and so I very much miss the human interaction and connections that I used to have in the office daily. I now find myself seeking out cafes so that I can be around others and have the occasional random conversation. I don't miss the time spent in traffic driving to and from work, though. This is another really big thing, and we've touched on it in different ways, but relationships have really, really changed. I read your piece from 2022, Emma, about the magic of your first work friends, and it made me realize and remember that some of my closest friends really are my friends of my first serious full-time job. They were in my wedding party, for example. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about just the power that you uncovered of having a work bestie, you know, that you interact with on a daily basis. That was one of my favorite stories that I've gotten to report because I did it by just kind of opening the floodgates. I was just like, I will talk to anyone who's interested in talking to me about their work friendships and like the people who they met in the first few years of their career. And one theme that I found was consistent across all those reporting conversations is that in particular, people spoke with a certain just kind of magical quality about the best friends who they met in those really early years of their career. 
And I think it makes sense because when people are in their 20s, there's, there's, they're just in this, in this stage of life where things are changing really quickly. But there's also a lot of openness to, to um, newness and to, you know, new relationships, to spending time in unexpected ways. Like if someone says, like, they want to grab a quick drink after work or people talk to me about playing, like, sports games with their coworkers after work or going on trips with their work best friends. There's just a lot of openness to saying yes to deepening new friendships. And I, I think there's a certain irreplaceable quality toward um, to the people that you get to know in your very first job. And I think that's actually something where I think there's a little bit of a, um, a, a sadness for some people who started their careers during the pandemics, especially people who started them kind of in their childhood bedrooms or, you know, quarantined somewhere, logging into a computer and just getting to know their colleagues over Slack and Zoom. I think that was a real loss. But now I think as people come back to the office, managers are thinking about like, how do you give people that opportunity back? And how do you make the case for it? Like, how do you tell people that the people that they get to know just kind of accidentally because they overhear conversations in the cubicles around them might be people who end up being really important in their lives? The one other piece of that is, you know, I think there, there's also there's a type of relationship that um, researchers called weak ties. And those are the people who actually are never going to be your best friends and they're not going to be in your wedding party. Um, they're just kind of distant acquaintances, but they actually have an unexpectedly massive impact on your career because they just make one sort of pivotal introduction or they give you an idea for a story or a, a project or, you know, something to pursue. They just or they randomly just like send you a link to something. And they're like, hey, I thought of you. And those weak ties are, um, you know, they're a really core part of the office experience. There was actually a really interesting study from MIT that showed they, they tried to show that people who are working remotely for less of those weak ties. They ended up sending sort of less random emails to people who aren't super connected to them. Um, so I think that's a particular kind of relationship that also can fall off when we're when we're not working around other mm, people. That's such a good point. Both those, you know, serendipitous or coincidental loose ties that can provide a major pivot to your career. And then also those really deep relationships with confidants or people who can model for you what you can become. I think you even wrote in the piece that frenemies can can stir up competitive feelings that make you even more successful. But it's also interesting that you point out that employers are trying to encourage more of this because you were saying that also surveys have found that, you know, work friends or really close friends at work engage employees more in their work as well. So there's a lot of benefits both for employees and employers. And I actually want to dig into more of what employers are doing. You touched on some of this um, before, but we can dig into it more after the break. We're talking about hybrid work, the, the pros definitely that many hybrid workers fought for, but also the cons that they're noticing more and more of now that we're a few years into partially remote, remote work schedules or have learned what the impacts of remote work are. We're talking about it with Emma Goldberg of the New York Times, and we'll have more with her and you after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the giant experiment that is hybrid work at this time and place four years after the pandemic's onset. A quarter of the American workforce is hybrid workers, tens of millions of people. Weighing the independence and work-life balance of at-home work versus the career and work-friend advantages of in-office work that we were just talking about with Emma Goldberg, tell us what's your experience of being a hybrid worker been like? What are you noticing lately, both pros or cons? If you're not a hybrid worker but intersect with those who are, how have you been affected by that? Are there changes you would like to see your work place make, your employers make, if you're struggling with some of the hybrid work issues that we have been discussing. Let me go to Carlin in Palo Alto. Carlin, thanks for calling. You're on. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm going to make a comment uh, from the perspective of someone who interacts with hybrid workers, Mm. and uh, more specifically with remote workers. I find that um, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 70s, so I've had many, many years of working, of interacting with people over the phone on specific issues that as a customer or as a being served by the, by by this person on the phone in the old days, when people were at on site in their office, they were way more focused on their job, on the specifics of what I was asking for and what they were providing for me. Today I call and I frequently have the conversations are less focused. They start telling me about that we get interrupted by a child and they'll say, excuse me a minute, while they tell the child to go away. Or even more egregious, they start telling me about their dryer that they're trying to apparently load while they talk with me and it's not working. And it's like, hello, I don't want to hear about your dryer. Uh, Carlin, I'm so curious, Emma, if you have heard what Carlin is talking about, that people, especially in customer service, um, are finding that the quality of the service they're getting has gone down with hybrid work? Um, That's new to me. I haven't necessarily heard about that um, experience particularly. I have heard from some people that they feel that when they work at home, they get a little bit distracted just by the possibility that they could throw in a load of laundry or maybe their family is around or maybe their roommate is around. You know, there are kind of novel distractions to trying to do your job at home. On the flip side, I've heard from some people who find the office really distracting because they're surrounded by, you know, coworkers on a hundred different calls and they're, you know, eavesdropping on all the all that's going on around them. So I think it does vary a lot by the type of worker and by the type of work they're doing. And you were talking about that sort of productivity, you know, stats are sort of all over the map. It kind of sounds like it's it's sort of a wash at this point, but we'll see. I guess time will tell. On the distraction front, Scott writes, I thought when I started to work from home, I'd get so much done. I did a few things, but way less than what I expected. It's clear to me that just because I'm home doesn't mean I'll get things done. 
Uh, so yeah, there's some some distractions about being at home. McKinday writes, I've worked from home since March 2020. I'm in the client services business for a global software company. It's been great since commuting in the East Bay is a hassle and my job doesn't require an office for me to be productive. I also have got to spend more time with kids and watch them grow. That's priceless. So um, I want to ask you, are employers sensing some of the malaise that you're talking about, maybe the stress of some of the unpredictability or lack of predictability or not having really strong relationships and, and some of the loneliness that have come that has come with that? And, and if so, what have you seen employers try to do to get more people into the office? You mentioned a couple things, but I'm just curious how far some of the efforts have gone. Um, well, you know, I think the managers that I've spoken to um, have definitely felt that they're still in the stage of trying to build the hybrid work arrangement. Like it's not it's not fully all set up yet. And I think they're still sort of testing different approaches out. Like some have stipulated particular days when people have to be in and others leave it up to the individual worker. Some are still trying like different kind of features to make the office a little more enticing. A lot are still actually physically reworking their workspaces. So this fall, I did a story about office design and how a lot of um, companies are remaking their offices to make them more of a sort of enticing destination for hybrid workers. And the trend that I noticed was something that I think of as sort of like the living roomification of the office. Mm. A lot of um, a lot of managers are are bringing in more couches, more soft seating, more communal areas, more sort of like color and plants and art, almost the type of offices that make you think of like a hotel lobby because they think if they're going to draw workers into the office, they want to make the office almost feel like a destination, like somewhere that you want to go and be. But the jury's out on whether or not that's working. I think it varies a lot by individual workers because, you know, I also spoke with workers who are working in these gorgeous, like newly remade offices. And what they said is that actually it was kind of challenging to work there because there weren't monitors for everyone. So you had to get there early to get the good seat mm. or, you know, it's suddenly an office where everyone is allowed to bring in their dog. But that can be kind of distracting. So I think there's there's benefits and and there can also be some real downsides for workers who are sort of navigating this new chapter of living room and hotel like office. Says. Yeah. Let me go to caller Jason next in San Francisco. Jason, you're on. Hi. Yeah. My comment is just generally that I'm an office uh, manager. And what ends up happening is, is that I do a lot of sales with what I do. And there's a lot of touch points with clients. I used to take young engineers with me to these meetings with people just so they could get the experience of networking with others and meet other people on their same rung and then grow with them throughout their career. And we've completely lost that. And as a result, sales are becoming more difficult. Um, kind of the art of interacting with clients and, and watching maybe a mentor uh, turn a sale is no longer as available for the, uh, the younger generation to really mm -hmm. come up and learn. And I'm doing quite well on the other end of that because I just never stop. Just touch point after touch point after touch point meeting after meeting as much as I can, uh, yeah. both remote and in person. But that in-person touch point is being lost. And that like art of interpersonal communication and sales is also like not, not being cultivated as much as I think it used to be. Yeah, Jason, thanks. You're underscoring the points you were making earlier about mentorship, people who started out now in this 
in this phase and, and really don't have the same kinds of experiences that people who have worked pre-pandemic in these offices have. But, but Emma, who has tried mandating five days a week and how has it gone for them? Have they suffered? Have workers left because of it? A lot of financial institutions, a lot of the banks have said people need to be back in five days a week. And I think they they have that really hard driving culture where um, people are expected to put in long hours. There's a big culture of, you know, watching what your managers do and getting networking, getting to know people if you really want to have a long tenure at the company and rise in the ranks. Um, So some of them have been pretty uncompromising that they just think that um, when people work from home, there's a certain kind of rigor that's lost. And I've also spoken even with some tech companies. Like there's a an AI company that told me they've mandated five days a week in the office. Um, the CEO said that if people don't want to work those five days a week, they can go look for a job somewhere else. And what he said to me kind of memorably is this idea that the greatest inventions have not been made on Zoom. And that, you know, if you're if you're trying to do something really ambitious as they are, then you just want to be kind of elbow to elbow with your colleagues and inspiring one another, energizing one another, trading ideas in real time, rather than just kind of hopping onto a Zoom every couple of days or even every couple of hours just to share updates, that you need that real time exchange and feedback loop. And, you know, he told me he has the like the most full parking lot in the Bay Area. So I think I, I think that for some companies it can really work because if you're if you're compensating people well, if you're offering good benefits, and if you have a real like kind of force of reason behind why you want people back, then I think workers kind of respect that and and they they can they can get on board or or they can look for another opportunity. Well, this is no rights. I feel that many companies are not working to op- optimize a hybrid model because it would mean they are conceding to this when they really just want to transition to an in-office only model. Also, I noticed that most of the pushback against hybrid and remote work is often anecdotal. I'd love more research into this. Hmm. They're not optimizing on purpose. Let me go to Johnny in Silicon Valley. Johnny, you're on. Yeah, I mean, what people don't understand, we're actually working on the show. We did the show Silicon Valley. We're working on exactly the subject. And it's RTO versus work from habitat. We call it work from habitat. We call apricots to boycotts. It's the most unorganized white collar boycott of all history. They are boycotting. But this is what's interesting. Think about it. The entertainment business I'm in. We were always a hybrid work, right? When you were shooting a project, just like you could do your radio show from home. We all know that. You could be anywhere doing your show. And the entertainment business is always this way. There were the people at the studios. We worked on our scripts. Then you're the director, right? Then we all have meetings. But you had to have a reason to get together. There was a You had to go do your task. And then we all met for a reason. If you're my director, I've got to come to you with a finished script. So you can't sit there. Yes, you can have Zoom meetings, but this is what we're finding. And it's very fascinating. And what's the greatest thing to what we found, women, it's actually more empowering women because they are the ones with children and responsibilities, getting to school, picking them up. And actually, I think we're going to find psychologically it's going to be better for women because it's empowering them. Well, Johnny, thanks for sharing your experience. I'm so curious about this new season. And I, I, I do want to ask Emma about your comment about women because I think it's been kind of mixed. Yes, there are a lot who say that this has really been great for them. But I don't know. What do you think, Emma? You know, it is interesting. Um, 
there was um, the research that I talked about earlier that showed that people were getting less feedback on their work when they worked remotely. The effects of that were actually more pronounced for women. So for women, they were getting even less feedback when they didn't have those in-person relationships with their managers. And I think one of one of my major takeaways from that is that women might actually have the most to gain from remote work and also the most to lose from it. Because on the one hand, maybe working mothers in particular need that flexibility of being able to, you know, handle some childcare during the day. Um, And and also, you know, there have been some studies that showed that women were even more eager for remote work because it allowed them to avoid some of the clickishness or the microaggressions or other things they might experience in the office. But on the other hand, they might also actually have the most to lose from it because when they don't have those in-person relationships with their managers, maybe they're not progressing their careers as much. So I think there, there's both big upsides and definitely, as you know, as you alluded to, there's a lot to lose. And I think that's why striking that proper balance between allowing people some days of flexibility and some days where they are building those work relationships and they are finding mentors and they're getting feedback on their work and they're having those like water cooler conversations or those exchanges where you never know what's going to come out of it. That's also really critical. Yeah, Let me remind listeners that you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. I think it was your reporting, Emma, that also pointed out from studies that were being done in like Wisconsin and Canada that when an employer tried to reach a female employee and they were not there at that moment, they were more likely to believe that they were doing something not work related as opposed to what they would think about what men were doing when they weren't reachable at that moment, in part because they know that women are often, uh, you know, end up doing more of the the work at home or personal or other things related to childcare or things like that. And I just thought that was also really fascinating too. Absolutely. That was that study was a little alarming. And it was that was done by a really interesting psychologist who showed um, that when when a manager wasn't able to reach someone, um, they were more likely to suspect women of doing something that was, you know, entirely non-work related, like maybe they were cooking, maybe they're doing laundry, maybe they're with their kids. Whereas a man, like a manager just assumes, okay, they're more likely to assume that person is off just doing something professional, something related to work, but they're just not reachable right now. And that's concerning. If, if you know, maybe women, again, have a lot to gain from the possibility of flexible work, and they also might be, you know, being judged or, or questioned for what they're getting done away from the office. Right. Sexist systems did not go away with this shift, for sure. And so, well, let me read some more comments that we're getting, pros and cons, or mixed about hybrid work. The Cisner writes on Discord, children get a lot more attention when parents work from home, also spouse relationships get stronger in my experience. Of course, work and career take a hit. Steve on Discord writes, my wife works for a parks organization. It's a lot of office work, some field work, and very collaborative. She likes the hybrid environment a lot. In office, there's lots of value in a quick just down the hall check-in, but realistically, someone who drops by in person has in fact interrupted whomever they drop by to see. So there's also a lot of value in getting deep focused time when you cannot be dropped in upon that way. Another listener writes, I have a hybrid job where I split my time between working from home and going to schools to support teachers and administrators. I love this mix. I wouldn't want to be completely remote because I think face-to-face interactions go a long way for building relationships. However, the flexibility of being able to work from home a couple of days a week has been 
great. Melanie writes, I work in a hybrid format, although my company has not had an office since the pandemic. I love my setup. It works well for me because my company still sees each other and my manager is great about giving feedback and making our work fun. I can see how it would be hard if I was younger trying to create work relationships. It would be a big adjustment for me to get back into commuting daily. I do want to go back to the comment that we heard earlier from one of the listeners who says that they are in a physically demanding job that requires them to be there every day and that, you know, this whole um, hybrid work situation is really for the benefit of people who are privileged enough to have white collar jobs. And we already know that that stratification can have negative effects on society. I wonder if you think that it can intensify it now that that this sort of shift in in who can have these kinds of arrangements might might compound that stratification or those that that lack of common experience yeah i mean it it's a complicated issue because i think one of the things we've seen over the last few years is that this has been a moment of reevaluation of what people expect or what they want or what they demand from their workplaces across industries and across um, across all different demographics, across across so many socioeconomic backgrounds. Because coming out of the pandemic, we had this really interesting moment of, um, you know, a, a real, a really tight labor market. Workers had a lot of leverage and workers started making demands all across different, you know, sectors. So we, we, hybrid workers and remote workers were demanding more flexibility, but we also saw like hospitality and leisure and workers in, in service demand higher wages, better benefits. We saw new unionization campaigns across companies like Starbucks that, had, that hadn't previously been unionized. We saw industries that hadn't previously been unionized, like architecture, start to see a drive around around unions as well. So I think this has been a moment of, of real worker power across all different kinds of workplaces. And so in some instances, what I've seen is that, um, you know, even like blue collar workers are actually... Um, in, in favor of the flexibility that white collar workers are mobilizing for because they feel that this is that that lends strength to workers across all different kinds of workplaces. So at Amazon, for example, um, corporate workers did a, wor- a walkout in the spring demanding um, among amongst other demands, demanding more flexibility um, on their return to office. And I spoke with some warehouse workers who don't have any flexibility to work from home, but they said they were in support of that because they were in the midst of their own unionization campaign and they felt that um, what they wanted to stand for was worker power all across the company. Mm. On the other hand, I do think, um, you know, there there is a real like ethical quandary here of um, this has been a moment of of um, you know where we we really laid bare um, what kinds of safety and and what kinds of just like um, health and and wellness and you know kind of cushioning people have access to depending on on what type of work they do. And I think that was most visceral early in the pandemic when. Um, you know, people were ordering food, staying home, locking themselves in safely. And the people who were delivering them that food and, and the people who didn't have the luxury of being from home were sometimes also being paid the least and, and just given, you know, the least amount of of, um, of benefits. Well, I hope you're right that the benefits of this and the empowerment that it's given workers in terms of a hybrid work schedule will be something that will shift the whole way that we look at and value workers. Emma Goldberg, thanks so much for coming on today. 
Thank you so much for having me. Emma Goldberg of the New York Times. Also, Caroline Smith, thank you for producing today's segment. Thank you, listeners, for sharing your experiences. They mean so much to the show. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.